Welcome to another episode of Berean's Podcast. Each week we share a message from the Bible and examine it to understand and learn to apply it to our lives. The hope is that through the wisdom of the scriptures, we will all be encouraged to make real life change and that the power of the gospel will transform our lives. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode of the Berean Podcast that starts right now. Hey, good morning, faith family. I want to say hello to those that are gathered in our uh, sanctuary service. Invite all of you, if you would, to turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18 will be our passage uh, this morning. Uh, we're continuing in our series called Traveling Light. The last uh, several weeks, we've been talking about uh, kind of the baggage and the burdens that we tend to carry in life. Uh, kind of our main theme, main passage that's driving this series, which we, we launched the series with, is Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 11 where he says, come to me, this invitation to all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The reality is, oftentimes, we make life heavier than it's supposed to be. We carry baggage and burdens with us that God does not intend for us to carry at all. In fact, he tells us, come to me and I'll I'll make your burden light. Cast your anxieties on me. And so we've been talking about some of this stuff. We've talked about how we tend to want control in our life and that makes life heavy. We ought to live if the Lord wills, recognizing his control. Pastor Tony last week talked about the the weight and the burden of expectations. And today we're gonna talk about another uh, kind of piece of baggage or burden that we tend to carry, and that's the issue of forgiveness, or you could even say unforgiveness. And I don't know if you know this, but life is full of some really obnoxious people, amen? Do you know any? You know those people that like cut you off in traffic, that stand in line for like 15 minutes and they finally get up to order and they still don't know what they want? Like that coworker of yours that thought it was a good idea to microwave fish for lunch? What's wrong with these people? And then, you know, the really, really obnoxious kind of people. You know what I'm talking about, Green Bay Packer fans? Just the worst. And all God's people said, amen. They're just awful. There might be a few in heaven. I'm not sure, but we'll see, all right? Life is full of context where we have to forgive. And this is a really difficult thing to do at times. And yet, if we don't address this issue, we're never going to travel light. So let's look at what God's word says about this issue of forgiveness, uh, about refusing to forgive here in Matthew chapter 18. So if you got your Bible and you're ready, if you're able to stand in all of our locations, please do as we honor the reading of God's word. Matthew 18 and verse 21 Peter comes up to Jesus and he said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him that owed him 10,000 talents And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master 
of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And he refused. And he went and put him in prison until he could pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he could pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of God. Pray with me, pray for me, and let's ask God to help us travel light this morning. God, thank you for this time to be together. Thank you for your word. These issues that we're dealing with week after week, they're so practical to our life. These are things that we deal with all the time, and you have not left us without instruction. You have given us your word to guide us how we are to live in freedom. doesn't mean it's easy. In fact, it's often very difficult, and yet it's where freedom is found. So set us free this morning. Take these burdens that we carry of unforgiveness, and may we experience the life of freedom in Jesus. And we prayed in his name, and God's people said, amen. Please be seated. Faith family, do you have a family member that you don't really like? hypothetically. Now don't point, okay? I would prefer that you not point them out this morning. That person in your life that you'd love to just get even with, if only there were a way, if only there were a way that you could get the last word. Well, the good news is there is. It's called the obituary. I don't know if you know this, and I'm not making this up. Over the last few years, there has been a trend with what has been called the revenge obituary. It's where family members use their loved one's obituary to speak their mind. Let me give you an example. Leslie, withholding the last name, born in Galveston on on November the 20th, 1942, passed January 30th, 2017, 29 years longer than he deserved. He battled cancer ultimately due to being a horse's, ask me later and I'll tell you, all right? He leaves behind two relieved children and six grandchildren. Leslie was surprisingly intelligent, but he lacked the ambition or motivation to do anything but squander the family savings. His hobbies included being abusive to his family and expediting trips to heaven for beloved family pets. Leslie's life served no real purpose. He did not contribute to society or serve his community. He possessed no redeeming qualities besides a quick-witted sarcasm, which was amusing on his sober days. Leslie will be missed for what he never was a loving husband, father, and friend. No services will be held in his honor. No prayers offered for his eternal peace. He will be cremated. 
and kept in the barn until the family donkey's wood shavings run out. Ouch. I wish I were making that up. I wish that were like a farce, something for your amusement, but that's an actual obituary about an actual person from actually family, actual family members. Here's another one that happened in Minnesota. It was reported in the Star Tribune. Kathleen, I'm withholding the last name, born March 19th, 1938 to Joseph and Gertrude. In 1962, she became pregnant by her husband's brother and moved to California. She abandoned her children who were then raised by her parents. She passed on May 31st 2018 and will now face judgment. She will not be missed by her children and they believe the world is a better place without her, close quote. One last one, this is just one quote from another obituary from the child of the deceased. Uh, they, They said, quote, I've never felt a greater sense of relief than the day my brother called singing, ding dong, the witch is dead. Wow. Like, come strong or don't come at all. That's unbelievable. Talk about taking your bitterness to the grave. Whoa. And when the news agencies in these local areas followed up uh, with these family members that wrote the obituary and asked them, like, why did you write such nasty things? Why were you so mean? They said things like, quote, we wanted to get the last word. Quote, it was our way of paying them back. Quote, I tried to forgive, but I simply cannot. I don't stand before you this morning acting like I know the details of those situations. I certainly do not. But I do know this. There's a lot of you here today that can relate to that. You wouldn't use the obituary to get your revenge, but you'd like to have revenge. As one pastor says, we are all born retaliators. It's why you don't have to teach children the desire of wanting to get even. Will you be real with me this morning? I don't know everything about you, but I know this about you. At some point in life, in one way or another, you have been hurt, you have been wronged, you have been offended and mistreated by someone else, and that desire in you was to get even and get revenge. The family member that abused you, the friend that betrayed you, the business partner that misled you, Those words that shattered you. The salesman that tricked you. The church that disappointed you. And some of you are here today, whether you even know it or not, and you're still carrying that hurt, and you refuse to forgive. And God has sent me here today to tell you this, based on the authority of his word, until you address the unforgiveness in your life, you will never travel light. It is exactly what Jesus is teaching here in Matthew 18. Look at verse 21. 
Peter came up to Jesus and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Now, this is not a random question for Peter. If you go back to the verses leading up to this passage, Jesus has been talking about conflict. Like, what do you do when you're in a situation where someone has sinned against you? And he lays out, this is the process that you go through. So Peter starts thinking. Peter's always thinking. And he's thinking, what are the limits to that? And, and, and what's the rules to apply? And, and, and how does this even work out? And so he, he says, I know Jesus. What, what about if we forgave, I don't know, seven times? Now, Peter assumes here he's going to get a trophy for his super spirituality. He'll likely be disciple of the month for this suggestion. You see, that's because the Jewish leaders said you were only obligated to forgive up to three times. They base this out of context from Amos chapter 1 verse 3 in the Old Testament. Thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Damascus and for four I will not revoke the punishment. In other words, if three was good enough for God, the religious leader said, well, three ought to be good enough for us. But of course, that's again not the context at all. So Peter thinks he's super spiritual. I won't go the three route. I won't even go four or five. How about seven? Isn't it interesting, just a little side note here, then we'll get back to the text, that the human heart always defaults to law instead of grace. Give me a rule. Just tell me what the limit is. I mean, I don't want to forgive more than I have to. Like, just tell me what the boundaries are, and then I'll know. That's what the human heart wants, but that's not what Jesus is going to teach. Jesus, but I hope you're with me this morning, Jesus is about to turn this issue upside down, as he usually does. Look at what he says to Peter, verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, or 77s is what the original has. That is 490 times. Jesus' point here is to say, Peter, there's not a rule. There's not a limit when it comes to forgiveness. He is about to transform the way we think about forgiveness. Uh, and, And the contrast of what Peter thinks and Jesus teaches is so clear. That is, forgiveness is not about a rule. Forgiveness is about a relationship. Forgiveness, Peter, doesn't happen by self-determined grit. I did it once. I did it twice. Okay, seven's it. I, I I can do this. No, no, no. It's about an overflow of grace. Forgiveness is not about following the law. It's about following the Lord. Peter, in order for you to see this, um, maybe a story might help. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife, children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. There's a few important details in the opening part of this story that we need to point out. First of all, the debt that this servant had in relation to the king was an impossible debt. The text says, how many talents? 
10,000 talents. Now, just check the little footnote in the margin of your Bible, and you'll see that uh, one talent was about 20 years of salary. That's 200,000 years of income. That's a lot of money. If you take just a $50,000 a year salary, that is $10 billion. Do you have any idea what you could do with $10 billion? I'll give you an idea. You could buy the Minnesota Vikings for $2.4 billion, the Timberwolves for $1.2 billion, the Twins for another $1.2 billion, and the Wild for about a half a million, because after all, who likes hockey? And wait, 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 wait. You don't have to like what I say, but you have to forgive me. I'm going to make you practice what I preach. Anyways, even if you bought all the franchises right here in Minnesota, you would still have almost $5 billion left. The point is, Faith, it's impossible. It's astronomical. It's an unpayable debt which is why a just verdict is then given. He's got to lose everything. In the ancient Near East, you don't have a bankruptcy court, and so he's going to lose his family, he's going to lose his possessions, everything's gone, and he realizes this desperation, and so he pleads for mercy. Please, please don't give me what I deserve. Have mercy on me. In other words, the servant becomes a beggar. He attempts good works. Well, I'll try to pay it somehow, some way. I'll figure out a way to do it. But there really is no way out of this situation except one way, and that's extraordinary grace. Realizing that there is no possible way for such a debt to be paid, the king, who, remember, is not obligated to do a thing, looks at the man and says... You don't owe me a thing. That impossible debt that you have, it's paid. You're free. You don't need a seminary degree to know what Jesus is teaching here. He is teaching how you, Christian, got into the kingdom. Verse 23 says, the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like how Jesus starts the Beatitudes. Blessed are the beggars, the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Who gets the kingdom of heaven? Who gets into the kingdom? The beggars, those that plead for mercy. Oh, Christian, listen to me this morning. If you are here and you identify yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ, this is our story. We sinned against the holy God, putting us in a position of impossible debt because perfection is the only form of payment for a perfectly righteous God. That resulted in our deserving of eternal separation from God and all of our attempts at good works didn't even come close to paying the debt and therefore our only hope was to get on our knees like a beggar and repent of our sins and ask God for mercy and the good news of the gospel is that he will and for many of us, hallelujah, he has forgiven us all of our debt and set us free. 
this is our story. This is like the story of a Christian. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. The debt you owed was death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Colossians 2, 13, you who are dead and your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by what? Canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's the good news of the gospel. And some of you are like, praise God, hallelujah, woohoo, preach preacher. Now let's go home. Can we just end it right there? But you realize the story's not over. I'll go one step further. You realize we haven't even gotten to the main point of the story. Because the question Peter's asking is not how many times does God forgive? It's not the question. The question Peter's asking is how many times must we forgive? Verse 28. When that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants that owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him, began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. The tables have turned now, have they not? The servant who had sinned has now been sinned against. And the details are a little different. The debt here is more manageable. A denarii was about a day's wage. So we're talking about a 100 days worth of income, uh, roughly a little over three months. You're not going to own all those franchises, but you might have season tickets to one. I mean, it's somewhat of a debt. It's a fairly significant debt, but it's not impossible. It's, it's much more manageable than the other. And yet his response is different. He starts choking the man. Man's got anger issues. And yet the, the, the guy pleads for mercy the same way he pleaded for mercy. Oh, but he doesn't get grace. He gets prison. It, it, If that were the only part of the story, maybe we'd understand that response. Maybe. But of course, it's the, listen, first part of the story, you're the guy that was forgiven all that. That makes the second part of the story, you're unwilling to forgive this, so shocking. And of course, that's what parables do. I mean, if you study the parables and the gospels uh, that Jesus teaches, a parable always has a shocking twist. The reader is always supposed to go, whoa, 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 that's not supposed to happen that way. And this is the shock. This is the twist. In other words, notice it on the screen. It doesn't make any sense how someone who's been forgiven so much can refuse to forgive so little. That's how the reader should be responding. And then the story continues. Verse 31. 
When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. He summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he could pay all his debt. So also, oh, this is such a sobering verse. Jesus says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What's the big idea here? Because I want us to spend some time working through some application of this. What's the big idea that Jesus is teaching in this parable? And um, this is going to create a little tension, and I'm just going to let it set for a little while, and, and we'll come back around to it. Here's the big idea. A servant who is forgiven much but refuses to forgive little is a servant who's not forgiven at all. Just let that set. A servant who's forgiven much, but refuses to forgive little, is not forgiven at all. We're going to come back to that, so just let that be a point of tension, and we'll come back to that in a moment. There's one more kind of big idea that I would take from this passage, and that's this. A servant who is always forgiven should always be forgiving. Peter, get this seven stuff nonsense out of your mind. It's not a rule, it's a relationship. This is not about how far can I go. Because my love passed all limits for you. Stop thinking like, is there a ceiling to... No, 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 no. Those who are always forgiven should always forgive. Now, what are some things that we take away from this? We need to have a conversation. I, I, I can just even feel some of the tension. Because when we talk about this issue of forgiveness, it hits home. And some of you are already thinking about situations in your life, thinking, how can I do this? I, I, Pastor, would you just help me? Let's, let's talk about a few things. First of all, this passage helps us understand the meaning of forgiveness. What does it mean to forgive? It means this. Forgiveness is canceling a debt. That's what it is. I keep giving you this visual. Forgiveness is simply taking the debt that is owed and simply saying, you don't have to pay me. I cancel that Debt. Now that tells us then what it's not. So for instance, are you, are you listening to me? Sanctuary, are you with me? Um, forgiving doesn't mean that there aren't consequences. It, it doesn't mean that you act like everything's fine. It, it doesn't mean that you keep putting yourself in the same situation. It doesn't mean that the relationship's not going to change in some way. It simply means this. Listen, you sinned against me, therefore you owe a debt to me, and I'm not going to make you pay that debt. It's forgiven. Let me give you an illustration. When I was growing up as a little boy, uh, there was an elderly couple that lived right across the street from our home. They didn't have any children, so they treated me like a grandson. Uh, Skeet and Bailey was their name. And I loved going over to their home. Uh, they would feed me Klondike bars by the good grace of God. 
And I'd build forts in their backyard. I, I seriously, I just loved going over to their home and, and just and playing and being over there. And, and um, uh, they had in their living room a very expensive vase. Don't get ahead of me. <laughs> and I'm playing around as a little boy in the living room, and I knock that vase over, and it shatters. I can still feel the horror of my mother when she heard what happened. And she offered to pay for that vase that I broke. And to be honest, I don't know the monetary value, but I'm quite certain my family would not have been able to afford it. And Bailey looked at my mom with a smile on her face, and she said, honey, you don't owe me a thing. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to keep putting vases out when little Wes is around. (laughs) But what you owe me is forgiven. There's a reason why we tend to not want to give this. We don't want to cancel the debt because a lot of us kind of like walking around with this in our pocket. Because it trumps everything. And it gives us a little sense of power. So if we hold on to this debt because we've been sinned against, it lets us trump anything. Like, well, you did that? Well, guess what? I remember two years ago when you did this to me. Oh, you're upset with what I did? Well, guess what you did to me? And it gives us this sense of power and control as we hold on to that debt. Sometimes it makes us feel superior. Well, at least I haven't done what you've done. Or maybe we hold on to this debt because it entitles us to something. Well, since you did X, I'm going to do Y. It gives us this sense of I'm the judge here. And I'm telling you, you're never going to travel light until you cancel the debt. You must forgive. How? How? Well, this is where this passage shows us the means of forgiveness, of how this even happens. Namely, that forgiveness is an overflow of being forgiven. This is so critically important. It's not a rule, Peter. It's a relationship. Forgiveness isn't a transaction. Forgiveness is a transformation. In other words, sanctuary, everybody, please look here, please. You don't forgive by trying harder. You forgive by abiding in Jesus. It's an overflow. It's not a, it's not a rule. As long as it's a rule, there'll always be limits. This kind of forgiveness only happens out of the overflow of a greater forgiveness. It's the only way it works by abiding in Jesus, by, by, by constantly having the forefront of your mind, the gospel, the first part of the story, namely all of your impossible debt that got met by extraordinary grace. And as you abide in that and reflect on that and live in that, it allows you to forgive without limits. Because there's some things that you begin to realize, and this is going to be hard. I'm preaching against 
uh, culture, and I'm preaching against kind of where our sin wants to take us, but this is what you'll begin to discover. Number one, a big sin against you is still smaller than a small sin against God. It's the point of the parable, namely that the sin committed against the servant doesn't compare to the sin committed against the king. And some of you are thinking right now, I can feel your blood beginning to boil. How dare you call my hurt small? How dare you call what happened to me a little thing? I'm not saying that it is small or little. Some of you were abused. Some of you were lied to. Some of you have been betrayed and offended. Listen, on the horizontal plane of human sin, that is not small. It's awful. Do not hear me today belittling what's happened to you. I would never do that. What I am saying is this, and it may sting, but it's true. You're not a holy God. You're not a holy God. Which means your sin against God is always bigger than any sin against you. And until, and you're only going to see that in the gospel, until you see that, you will always forgive with limits. You'll also, as you abide in Jesus and meditate on the gospel and live in this abundance of God's forgiveness in your life, you're going to do this. While you may not relate to the sin done against you, you can relate to the sinner. In verse 27, the master has pity on him. The word literally means his heart went out to him. He identified with him. I hope that you're listening. You and I tend to um, put people in categories. You're a liar. You're a thief. You're a betrayer. You're a, you're a sinner. And as we reflect on the gospel, we realize so are we apart from the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Listen. Oh, this is so important. I hope you're listening. That does not mean you would ever do what they did or can even understand why they did what they did. But you know in your own heart the struggle with sin. You may never do that, but you've done something to someone. And so you can begin to have compassion with another sinner. Think of it this way. Notice it on the screen. As long as you remain the superior sinner, you'll never forgive. Or your forgiveness will have limits. And here's the last thing. is As we reflect on the gospel and the overflow of forgiveness that we have in God you'll be able to really believe, I mean really believe that God has a purpose in your pain. God has a purpose in my pain. Two Old Testament stories just very quickly here that really illustrate this. Do you remember the story of Joseph? Talk about being sinned against by family members. Talk about wanting revenge against family. His brothers sold him into slavery. Joseph's life was altered due to the sin of other people. And do you remember in Genesis 50 when they reunite 
and the brothers are nervous because they think Joseph has already written the revenge obituary. Like they know what's coming to them. Joseph's going to get revenge. And then this is what happens in Genesis 50 verse 18. His brothers came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear for I am I in the place of God. As for you, this is so beautiful. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. One more quick uh, story of this as well. David, in one of the most painful seasons of his life, encounters a man by the name of Shimei. He he hurls insults at him. He throws literally rocks at him. He curses him as he's walking down the street like some little chihuahua. He's just walking down the street, hurling all types of insults at David. And here's what happens in 2 Samuel 16, verse 9. Then Abishai, the son of Zerah, said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over and take off his head. By the way, we make all of our elders memorize that verse. You ain't talking about our pastor that way. Watch what David says. The king said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? If he's cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why have you done so? Watch this. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. What do both of those illustrations and examples show us? The ability to say it's evil. It's wrong. It's sinful. It shouldn't be. And yet your plan in sinning against me does not thwart the plan of good God has for my life. You will never be able to forgive without limits until you have that kind of faith in God. And it... It only comes, I'm telling you, it only comes as you live in the overflow of the forgiveness that's been given to you. It doesn't happen with a rule. It's the overflow of a relationship. Forgiveness won't happen by the power of the will. It happens by the power of the Spirit as you abide in Jesus Christ. So what is forgiveness? We see that. It's the canceling of a debt. How do we do it? Well, we do it by living in the overflow of the forgiveness that we've received in God. And then we'll just close with this, the magnitude of forgiveness. Why is it so important? Why is this such an important issue? Why does Jesus speak so strongly about this? Two things quickly. One is that unforgiveness leads to a personal prison. Gosh, I wish I had more time. I, and I don't mean that in like some making a dig at the clock. I just, there's so much more we need to talk about here. Unforgiveness leads to a personal prison. Here's where I get this from. Everybody listen. What happened in the story to the servant who was free but refused to forgive, answer, he ended up in prison. You see, you think withholding forgiveness puts them in prison. 
but it actually imprisoned you. Forgiveness is setting a prisoner free only to discover that prisoner was me. And that's why you're not traveling light. Because you are holding on to the hurt and pain that honestly may very well have been evil. Sin, call it what it is. We're not watering that down today. But in light of the extraordinary grace that God has shown you and the freedom that is offered to you in Jesus Christ, today, maybe for the first time, you're finally able to say, I forgive you. I don't want to be a prisoner anymore. And and Jesus is saying, come, you're heavy laden. I want to give you rest. I want to give you rest. My burden's light. But you're going to have to forgive. What is it? Who is it that today you need to cancel the debt? There's a second reason why this is so incredibly important. It's because unforgiveness leads to eternal separation. I'm not going to talk verse 35 out of the text. Jesus is clear, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. Which almost sounds like works instead of grace, right? Like my forgiveness is based on my forgiveness, And I thought we were saved by grace and not by works. And I told you earlier we would come back to the big idea of this parable as we close. Let's look at it again. A servant who is forgiven much yet refuses to forgive little is a servant who isn't forgiven at all. Here's what that means, Christian. I hope you're listening. You're not a Christian until you have experienced the transforming forgiveness of God. How do you know you've experienced the transforming forgiveness of God? You know the answer. You forgive. Your unwillingness to forgive is pointing you to a big spiritual problem that may very well mean you are not in relationship to God. And you should use that as a spiritual checkup to cause you to repent and to come to Him and to be free to forgive. Some of you here today are carrying the burden of unforgiveness. That thing she said, the thing he did, and you've become a prisoner. Look at me, faith family. This whole series is because I love you. Even more than that, Jesus loves you and he wants you today to travel light. And you say, how? Here's how. Today, I want you to take the sin that has been committed against you to the grave. Not your grave. The empty one. Because what you will find there is not a law about forgiveness. What you will find there is the Lord of forgiveness. The one who forgives without limit and you'll find rest for your soul.
And God's people said, amen. Will you pray with me? God, this is not hypothetical. This is real life. And I can't even begin to imagine many of the situations and life circumstances that are represented in this place today. And I pray that traveling light would begin. And Spirit, Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to to show us what that looks like in our life. Is that a conversation that needs to happen? What is that step of releasing the debt to those that have sinned against us? I pray first that we would be so overwhelmed with the forgiveness that we have in you that we couldn't help but forgive others. So God, I'm going to ask that in these next moments as we celebrate an ordinance that points us to the extraordinary grace that we have found in you, that that would then lead us to forgive. In Jesus' name, amen.